Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, it's Basha here, and you're listening to the Slow Newscast from Tortoise. So, Boris Johnson is on his way out of number 10, but not quite yet. And there are reports that he's about to create lots of new peers as he departs, which raises a question. How has our outgoing Prime Minister used the House of Lords during his time in office? A leaked report by his political consultant suggests appointing more people supportive of a Conservative government's political agenda can help tip the balance and get controversial bits of legislation through the upper house. In this episode, my colleague Paul Caruana Galizia meets Peter Crudus, banker, businessman and Baron of Shoreditch, to understand why Boris Johnson was so keen to put him in the Lords and what his story tells us about the Prime Minister's battle with Parliament. It's the 30th of July and we're on the grounds of Dalesford House, a grand estate set in what one dweller calls the Coots Walls. Across its 1,500 acres, there's an orangery and an orchard, a secret garden and a swimming pool. But here we are, under a needlessly big white marquee, listening to Neil Diamond's classic. Played in honour of Boris Johnson's wife Carrie, as the two twirl and shake on the empty dance floor. He in a cream linen suit with a blue shirt and tie, she in a gold sequined dress reflecting the bright neon light around them. Outside the marquee, guests enjoy South African sausage and ancient grain salad. The Johnson's wedding party was meant to be at the Prime Minister's official country residence, Chequers. It moved to Dalesford after Boris Johnson received, as he said in his speech earlier in the day, masses of letters to resign, mostly from my closest family. But this party isn't the first time that the owners of Dalesford have supported him. Lord Bamford is a Conservative donor was appointed to the House of Lords when David Cameron was Prime Minister. Together with his family and JCB companies, he has donated more than £4 million to the Tories under Boris Johnson. During the 2019 election campaign, they even provided a red, white and blue JCB digger with the words, Get Brexit Done, written on the front, so Boris Johnson could drive through a wall with the word gridlock on it. This isn't just a wedding party. It's the Prime Minister's legacy in a grain of sand, a blurring of public power and private gain. More than his predecessors, Boris Johnson has used his patronage not just for his government's benefit, not just for his political party, but, above all, for himself, for the wedding venue, the Caribbean holidays and the obsequious newspaper columns. It was all for him and his main tool of reward, the House of Lords. Some previous prime ministers have um, 
been a bit profligate in creating peerages as well. The view that it's not just numbers, but an element of cronyism. At the wedding party, there were at least two people who've been tipped for peerages in Boris Johnson's resignation honours list. Two people out of a list which could run to 39 names. Most will be Conservatives who'll join the other 41 Tory members of the House of Lords he's already created since becoming Prime Minister. They tend to fall into two groups, people who've given personal favours and others who've given unyielding political support. Millionaire David Ross fits in the first category. He facilitated Boris Johnson's holiday on Mustique. The other, ultra-loyal cabinet minister Nadine Doris, fits in the second. And this reported list of new peers has been given added significance by a leaked report that we've seen by the Prime Minister's political consultant's Crosby Texter. I think the document referred to exacerbates the problem. It's completely objectionable. And it's based on a misunderstanding of what the House of Lords is about. It's called Project Homer, and it suggests flooding the Lords with ideologically sympathetic peers to make sure government legislation gets through. It advises that controversial people are included to distract from the overall number of nominations and cites Evgeny Lebedev as an example. Our reporting has shown his nomination wasn't supported by the security services. Crosby Texter has played down the significance of this document. But how much could it be guiding Boris Johnson's actions? One man, who is also cited in Project Homer, might help answer that question. I, Peter Lord Crudders, do swear by Almighty God that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty the Queen, her heirs and successors, according to law. So help me God. But in many ways, this story is about much more than his peerage. I mean, I've never hit anybody that hard in my life. But I'm sorry it had to come to that because I'm not generally a violent person or I will stand up for myself. I never back down on anything on business and yes. on a sports field. And um, But uh, it was um, a sad and a happy moment. I'm Paul Caruana Galizia. And in this week's Slow Newscast from Tortoise, the rise of Peter. Now, Lord Crothers, because to elevate him to the House of Lords, Boris Johnson had to do something no Prime Minister had done before. When things go outside the rules, there is an embarrassment. I think it's an embarrassment that we can't do anything about it. And now Lord Crothers is throwing all his considerable energies into paying Boris Johnson back. No, thank you yeah, so I'm much. surprised myself I'm doing it, to be honest. <laughs> Peter Crudders wasn't initially keen on an interview, for reasons that would become clear. Well, I kept getting messages from you, and I thought, oh, who are these guys? I'm going to ignore them, because <laughs> uh, I get a lot of emails. And, I thought, and then yeah. you persisted, and then you pissed me off a bit. We met at the headquarters of his £690 million company in the city. It's a great social distance but a very short geographical one, from his origins. So uh, Lord Crudders of Shoreditch, I mean, when you go into the House of Lords, you can kind of choose your title. I could have chosen Mayfair, where I live now, but I thought, no, Shoreditch is the right title, that's where I'm from. Shoreditch in the late 1950s, when he was a young boy, was all bomb sites, industrial decline and deprivation. Really, you just had to scratch out a living. The opportunities weren't there. Kids like me weren't expected to go to university. I was certainly clever enough. I was probably the cleverest kid in the school. I did a Mensa test. I got an IQ of 155. Apparently, that's high. An IQ score at that level would place him in the top 1% of Britain's population. So I never really enjoyed school. I enjoyed primary school because I, you know, I, I got more attention and more tutoring, and I could really thrive in that environment. But at secondary school, it was just someone was ticking the box because we all had to be educated and there was this big comprehensive school. And always was disappointed. I wanted to go to a grammar school, but I never went to a grammar school. So you you left school um, 15. at 15. There was a job advertised, you know, trainees, uh, teleprinter operators. 
and I applied to, to, for an interview and, um, and I got the job. And I said, yep, start on Monday. He was paid £8 a week, about £90 in today's money. He worked hard, earned a few shillings more per week and was promoted to the trading room. The good thing back then was that I was bringing money in to my mum. I would give her, her my, give her my weekly wage, the whole money, everything. There's the money, mum. Give it to her on a Friday night. And then she'd give me a few quid back as my pocket money. I figured I had to pay for my keep. I wanted to help my mum. When I finished the night shift, I would also, you know, wait for her and do office cleaning with her for a couple of hours. He had to help his mother because although his father worked as a supervisor at Smithfield Meat Market, he didn't provide for his family. My dad was an inventor. He invented binge drinking. Um, (laughs) 25 pints of Guinness and one bottle of rum per day. His mother felt she couldn't divorce his father because his name was on their council flat's rent book. But the power in their home was shifting. I was giving her money. She wasn't dependent upon my dad because there were constant arguments about money. My dad needed to hang on to every penny that he made so he could keep drinking. And my mum needed to feed the kids and he was completely irresponsible, my dad. It was quite traumatic, really, living in that environment. And then, at last, the balance tipped. One day I just snapped. Um, I came home. My mum was upset. My dad had hit her. I said, I've I've fucking had enough of this. And I was furious. So I came, he was asleep in the chair. And um, I waited for him to wake up. And I said, listen, you don't touch mum anymore. That's enough now. And he was a little bit pissed, I guess, a little bit hungover. I'm not proud of this because it's the best and worst thing I've ever done in my life. And his attitude, what are you going to fucking do about it then? And he came out of the seat and scared the life out of me. I just smashed him right in the face, broke his nose. I heard it go. And he just slumped back in the chair. I think he passed out for a few seconds and then blood everywhere pouring out of him. My mum was screaming. She grabbed a tea towel, gave it to him. He held it up to his nose and he couldn't move. I mean, I'd knocked him right out and it was, I guess years of frustration and anger of a man that I didn't respect as a father that treated my mum poorly, who I loved dearly and was a very good mum to myself and my two brothers. And here she was being abused and I just had enough. And uh, he was scared of me after that and he never touched my mum. And it gave me a feeling of uh, control and power, which I never abused because he was still my dad. Peter Crothers took his new sense of independence and determination into business. I understood everything about trading and so on, and I progressed from a tumbled telex operator into a trader. Then at 35, I started my own company. And basically, I was a brokerage company. But here's the unique, uh, here's the, 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 the thing that happened that sort of transformed my business. We went from a little boutique business And one day I read about the internet. He spotted its potential to transform trading. And in 1996, he launched one of the first online trading platforms. A move that made him extremely rich and eventually took him to Monaco. Back in 2009, you know, there was the Gulf War, there was socialist government. Peter Crothers didn't like what was happening back home upset by the Iraq war and what he saw as the Labour government's mismanagement of the economy, he felt Britain was veering in the wrong direction. I believe in capitalism, I believe in centre-right politics, I believe in immigration, I believe in low taxes, I believe in border controls, everything that's made this country great. He moved home and in 2009 he decided to act. So I gave the Conservatives £200,000 to fight the next election. Of course, I'm then on their radar, and I kept supporting them. I wanted to help them. David Cameron became the Prime Minister in a coalition government. 
uh, and I wanted to keep help, helping them. I became a member of the leaders group, which is £50,000 donation. He was suddenly drawn into a world of Conservative Party fundraising, attending dinners and drinks hosted by the party chairman, Andrew Feldman. Andrew knew how to work a room. So he would sort of stand round in a circle and he'd quite casually drop in, oh, yeah, yeah, so I popped in to see David um, over the weekend. David who? Oh, Prime Minister. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I popped in to see him and Sam was there with the kids and we had a chat and we actually we, we had a bit of shepherd's pie and stuff like that. And uh, so he kind of used that personal relationship with David Cameron. And then, of course, at a social event, I mean, people walk past me and say, oh, by the way, uh, Andrew, I've got a cheque for the party. I said I'd give you my... And, and I don't know what the size of the cheque. It could have been 50000 It could have been a 1000 I don't know. But they'd make sure they'd give it to him because they thought, oh, he's mates with the Prime Minister. That's Peter Crudders' account of how Andrew Feldman operated. Andrew Feldman declined to comment. As we'll hear, he's a man who Peter Crudders came to dislike. For really big donations, Andrew Feldman turned to Peter Crudders. During a referendum on the voting system in 2011, he asked Peter Crudders for half a million pounds to support a campaign to maintain first-past-the-post, which favoured the Conservatives. With more than 300 areas declared, 68% of people have voted no to changing the voting system, whilst just 32% are in favour. His contribution to the successful campaign was rewarded. I kind of knew it was coming because um, they kind of thought, hang on a minute, this bloke's conservative, he's working class, he's off a council estate, he's self-made, he's an entrepreneur, he pays his taxes, he gives to charity. What's not to love about this guy? I mean, politically, I tick a lot of boxes. And so they invited me to be the treasurer of the Conservative Party, and that came with being a board member and on the Finance Committee, which I considered a great honour. As treasurer, Peter Crudders was expected to donate £750,000 a year and to underwrite the party's finances. He was good for the money, but when he drove to Conservative headquarters in London, he was asked to park his Rolls-Royce round the back and was sidelined at important events. I wouldn't say I've got a chip on my shoulder, but I kind of wouldn't let people talk down to me. David Cameron, an old Etonian, ran the party and government with a small group of fellow travellers. It was... Like a fucking Oxford reunion. It felt like it was a little club and you had to be part of that club to make any headway or to get your voice heard a little bit. So... I decided that I wasn't part of the clique. I wasn't going to try to be part of the clique. I'd rather not be part of it. I actually um, didn't like the way I was treated. I felt I was just being used for money. Well, there's a first in politics, isn't there, you know? But I accepted that. I said to my wife, I said, you know what's going to happen? They're going to treat me like shit. In March 2012, Two people came to Peter Crudders' office. I didn't even know their names, and they walked in my door and they said they wanted to donate some money to the Conservative Party. They told him they worked for a foreign investment fund and wanted to meet the Prime Minister to put across their points of view. Do you think if we really want to get, get ourselves noticed and get ourselves invited to the very top level so that we would be taken seriously when we yeah. meet Mr Cameron at Downton Abbey, for example, yeah. what do you think is a suitable amount for us to give to...? Minimum of 100 grand a year, minimum. 100 grand is not Premier League. It's not bad. Mm -hmm. it's, it's probably bottom of the Premier League. 200 grand, 250 is Premier League. Right. But anything between 100 and 250... Here's what Peter Crudders said they could expect. When we talk about your donations, mm. yeah. the first thing we want to do is get you at the Cameron and Osborne dinners. And in fact, some of our bigger donors have been for dinner in mm. number 10 Downing Street uh, in the Prime Minister's private apartment oh, with yeah. Samantha. The meeting seemed to have gone well. Peter Crudders emailed Conservative headquarters to tell them to expect a large donation. Nine days later when he was on his way to feed his daughter's cats, 
Poppy Antipi. The Sunday Times called him and asked for a response to their allegations that he'd corruptly offered access to the Prime Minister for cash and that he'd advised on how to conceal the foreign source of their donation. A nightmare headline in the Sunday Times. The paper had secretly recorded the Tories' top fundraiser offering access and maybe influence in return for big donations. Peter Crudders denied the allegations. He called Conservative Party chairman Andrew Feldman, who said they'd have to wait until 9pm to see the story, and, before hanging up, told him, good luck. Peter Crudders went from an asset to a liability overnight. The Prime Minister wanted him out. Well, look, what happened is completely unacceptable. This is not the way that we raise uh, money in the Conservative Party. It shouldn't have happened. It's quite right that Peter Crudders has resigned. What he did was vicariously defamed me because he was endorsing a story that wasn't true. So I could have sued the Prime Minister. Why didn't you? This was upsetting for my children and for my wife. It was upsetting. They didn't like to see me being talked about in this way, and it was upsetting for me as well. That was the main reason I thought, if I go out and uh, sue the Prime Minister, this thing is never going to go away. Instead, he sued the newspaper and the two journalists, and won. The judge ruled that the journalists had acted maliciously in attempting to show that he had tried facilitating an illegal donation. And he ruled that Peter Crudders's offer for them to meet the Prime Minister was not an opportunity for them to influence government policy, because he issued this disclaimer during the meeting. Because we depend on donors so much, we have to be very careful what we say. <clears throat> Sounds a lot worse than it is, I promise you. <laughs> we have to be careful. You cannot buy access to the Prime Minister full stop. If you donate, you will be invited to events where the Prime Minister is there. And frequently, if you get into the right club, and I can advise you, you could well be at a private house having a private dinner with the Chancellor, William Hague, David Cameron, Michael Gove, all the top ministers, mm -hmm. the chairman of the party. The judge added that Peter Crudders suffered public humiliation from the Prime Minister. But the victory would be short-lived. The newspaper appealed. The Court of Appeal upheld the part of the ruling which found that Peter Crudders didn't try to facilitate a foreign donation, which would have been unlawful. It also upheld the finding that the journalists had acted maliciously in reporting that allegation. But the judges overturned the finding that there was no offer of access for a donation. It said... Crudders was effectively saying to the journalists that if they donated large sums to the Conservatives, they would have an opportunity to influence government policy. Crudders was not suggesting criminal offences under the Bribery Act 2010. Nevertheless, what he proposed was unacceptable, inappropriate and wrong. It's legal. Mm -hmm. And they said it's unacceptable, inappropriate and wrong for me to do what every party does. I found it bizarre. I gave up after that trying do you, to... Do you feel, um, rightly or wrongly, do you feel like the Court of Appeal was, in effect, um, uh, making a judgment on fundraising in general? Like do you know what I really mm. think, and I've never said this about... I think the Court of Appeal, this is my personal opinion, was political. I think that their mindset, because they would argue differently, the mindset of the Court of Appeal was to give something back to the Sunday Times. The appeal judges ordered Peter Crothers to repay some of the damages, reducing them from £180,000 to £50,000. But the real damage had been done. Peter Crothers was cast out of the establishment. I gave Cameron a chance to put things right, to apologise, you know. And uh, I don't think he did. I think that contempt that I felt from the clique before this happened, when the Sunday Times story happened and after it happened, they still weren't prepared to treat me with respect. When he gave his so-called apology to me, it didn't actually, uh, it wasn't really sincere. Mm. And so... 
I thought, fuck you. Peter Crudders stopped donating to the Conservative Party and focused on a new kind of politics, Brexit. In 2015, a few months after that ruling by the Court of Appeal, he joined the board of Vote Leave. I was on the front line, I was their treasurer, I was a major donor, I kept it afloat. The official Leave campaign went head-to-head with David Cameron, who had called the Brexit referendum but had come out in support of Remain. Peter Crudders now found himself riding the red battle bus with another kind of old Etonian, Boris Johnson. We went to rallies, we went campaigning. I mean, it wasn't really an orchestrated type of relationship. Our paths just kept crossing, kept crossing. And he knew me from conservatives and stuff. And and I just got on well with him, but no better than, say, Priti Patel and uh, other Brexiteers. And so the campaign was very successful. Very successful, yeah. We can now say the decision taken in 1975 by this country to join the common market has been reversed by this referendum. At the Vote Leave headquarters, Peter Crudders and Boris Johnson hugged. David Cameron resigned. The British people have made a very clear decision to take a different path. And as such, I think the country requires fresh leadership to take it in this direction. How did you feel when he was resigning? That's my producer, Lewis Vickers. Probably a little bit mixed, not as euphoric as you might think, because, you know, I described in a book it was outflanking a couple of Muppets from Oxford University. Uh, But, I mean, there was a bit of anger towards him in there, I guess. But I actually felt that he was a pretty good prime minister. It would take another three years for Boris Johnson to become prime minister. We became a Brexit country back in 2016. And Boris had led that campaign. And basically, naively or not, we at Vote Leave expected the core of Vote Leave team to end up in number 10. When he did, Peter Crothers donated £50,000 to his campaign. I wanted a Brexit Prime Minister to deliver a Brexit Britain. That's what we fought for. That's what I spent a million-odd quid on supporting, you know. They won again. And Boris Johnson wanted to show his gratitude. We had a drink and he wanted to thank his supporters. And he turned up late and, you know, gave a speech and we shook hands and cuddled on his way out and that was it, you know. But Danny Kruger came up to me and said, oh, you know, um, Prime Minister wants to see you at number 10. We'll give you a call in a couple of days. Yeah, OK, fine. The meeting happened on the 19th of September 2019 at 4.45pm. Ben Elliott, who replaced Andrew Feldman as the Conservative Party chairman, was in the room with Boris Johnson. He said, basically, that he would like to put Brexiteers in the Lords because you've got to remember all the shenanigans from the House of Lords that, you know, bills were coming through from Parliament and the Lords were rejecting everything to do with Brexit. And so he wanted more Brexiteers in the Lords and it was a great honour to receive that. After the meeting... Ben Elliott took a photo of Peter Crudders outside number 10. But it would be more than a year before he took his seat. Peter Crudders' appointment was delayed because the House of Lords Appointments Commission, HOLAC, which vets but can't veto nominees, didn't support his appointment. Boris Johnson overruled the commission and MPs asked its chair, Lord Bew, to provide answers. This is the first time that a Prime Minister has sought to go ahead. Now, in fairness, he has been totally open as to his reasons. And his letter to us is a powerful letter of the case for Lord Crullis, not that, for example, charity work and so on. But nonetheless, I, you know, we stand over what we said. We had a reason for saying it, which is what had been said in the court. And we have a reason for saying it, particularly with relating to our second criteria, which is Parliament. Uh, and, and, this, and, and, and the standing of Parliament. So that's it. That's it. We said no. We felt we had no alternative. It places Holak in a, in a very difficult position. He has been totally honest and open, the Prime Minister, about the reasons why he thought we were wrong. And I have been absolutely clear in my letter to you 
you know why we think we were right, and that's it. And you know, the committee as a whole is, 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 is united on that subject. It's been reported that when it came to protecting the standing of Parliament, Holak felt Boris Johnson wouldn't have nominated a man so harshly judged by the appeal court if he hadn't been such a generous donor to the Conservatives. And Lord Bew added, It was certainly absolutely clear to me that the Prime Minister wanted this person in, in a big way. It meant a lot to Peter Crothers. This is where I think Boris differs from Cameron, because Boris said, you are wrong, Mm-hmm. and I'm going to override you, and I'm going to write a letter of why I'm overriding you, and I'm going to put it in the public domain. And I'm very grateful that he did that, because what Holak were doing was damaging my reputation. Just three days after Peter Crothers took his seat as a Conservative member of the House of Lords, he donated half a million pounds to the party. I can understand why people have made something out of that. But hang on a minute, I'm already in the Lords. Why do I need to donate? You know, I mean, if I was paying to get into the House of Lords, and by the way, you can't do that. That's corruption. That's criminality. And, you know, there's there's no evidence of that because it didn't exist. The fact of the matter is I'd committed to give the Conservative Party, you know, in my own mind, sums of money over a period of time. And um, I suppose I should have thought about it a bit more. But I mean, you've got to remember going into the Lords as well was when COVID was locked down. It was just like I turned up, I swore on the Bible and then I came home. Didn't even feel like I was in the Lords, to be honest. It was Peter Crudis's largest single donation yet and took his total donations to the Conservatives above £3 million. Which is interesting. It seems to fit a pattern. For example, Andrew Fraser donated a little more than £3 million before being made Lord Fraser. James Lupton donated £2.95 million before taking his seat as Lord Lupton and then another £60,000 after his maiden speech. Michael Spencer donated about £5 million to the party before being made Lord Spencer. Michael Farmer donated around £7 million. 15 of the last 16 Conservative Party treasurers were offered peerages, having each donated at least £3 million to the party. A Daily Telegraph column from 2006 described the sale of peerages as a crime that is quintessentially British and unknown to any other jurisdiction on earth. The columnist? One, Boris Johnson. I don't think I know him or would recognise him other than from television, if I'm honest, uh, when he's out defending Boris Johnson. Um, But I think peers are embarrassed uh, when they think things aren't done properly. You know, the House of Lords cross-party sees itself in many ways as custodians of the Constitution. And when things go outside the rules, there is an embarrassment. I think it's an embarrassment that we can't do anything about it. My name's Angela Smith. I'm the leader of the Labour group in the House of Lords and therefore leader of the opposition in the House of Lords. When you look at the website, you can see the contributions people have made, but you can also look at what their interests are that they have to declare. If your interests are longer than the contributions you have to make, if it's a longer list, then there's something that's not quite right, isn't there? Peter Crudis's only contribution to the House, besides his maiden speech was a question on temporary cycle lanes in London, in which he explained that he's a keen cyclist. Meanwhile, in his register of interests, 11 directorships. But Peter Crudders has voted 257 times out of 269 votes since taking his seat. It's a better voting rate than the Conservative leader of the House of Lords. I voted more than anybody else, more than ministers, more than anybody else. And I've been on two committees. I don't speak so much because I haven't got bloody time, to be honest. I can't do everything. Across all those 257 votes, he went against the Conservatives just once on a bill to extend abortion rights in Northern Ireland. I think what Boris Johnson said, look, I can't win the arguments. Even my own people aren't voting 
um, for these bills or for these issues. So I'm going to appoint people who will, and we'll just win by sheer numbers. Owen Patterson, who, of course, uh, was found to have broken uh, the rules on paid lobbying just last week and was now, after that government U-turn... Prime Minister Boris Johnson is apologising for parties that allegedly breached COVID-19 lockdown rules after he and dozens of others were fined. Today, number 10 said the Prime Minister was aware of reports and speculation about Mr Pincher. It is clearly now the will of the Parliamentary Conservative Party that there should be a new leader of that party and therefore a new prime minister. It was Boris Johnson's personal failure to live up to standards in public life and his support for other Conservatives who fell short that ended his premiership. It started with him defending Owen Paterson, despite a committee of MPs finding that his lobbying brought Parliament into disrepute, and ended with his appointment of Chris Pincher despite the history of allegations of sexual assault and harassment against the deputy whip. And it's personal loyalty that some people think can bring him back, through a campaign to give Conservative Party members a say over whether to accept his resignation, waged in the pages of the Daily Express, on the Conservative Post website, and in Peter Crothers' tweets. Peter Crothers even instructed his lawyers to threaten legal action against the party. I was angry about the removal of Boris. He was constructively dismissed as Prime Minister. Why was I angry? First of all, I like Boris, but if he was a Remainer, I wouldn't have been angry because I'm a Brexiteer. We need a Brexit government. And I felt Boris was elected. He got 43% of the popular vote. He won an 80-seat majority and he had a manifesto and mandate from the electorate to deliver. He has effectively been dis constructively dismissed by a group of MPs. But the problem with that is that it's going against the electorate and it cannot be right for a political party to be having the towel wagging the dog. So the whole thing stinks. And I think it's the long-term destruction of the Conservative Party. I've seen this in business a lot. If you run a business for your mates, it ends in tears. And the members are being disenfranchised. So it's moved beyond Boris. His campaign to save Boris Johnson's premiership looks doomed to fail. But for Peter Crothers, it's also about changing the constitution of the Conservative Party so that its control shifts away from MPs and closer to party members. If you give me the choice, yeah. keep Boris, same constitution, or change the constitution, I take the second one. But I would like Boris, the third choice would be to have Boris in the new constitution. That would be Nirvana for me. And if he can't keep Boris Johnson or change the party's constitution, he says he'll stop giving the party money. If, if nothing changes, if Boris goes and the constitution stays the same, I'm not interested because it's corrupt and it's wrong. And it's not, it's not a personal thing. It's just a wrong way to run a business. It's the wrong way to run a political party. And it's going to get worse and it's... Um, so I can't, I can't give to the party. Having what they've done to Boris is just a catalyst for me to say enough. Peter Crudders has donated more than four and a half million pounds to the party so far. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's one more, one more thing in, in the memo that I found, I found odd. The... The idea that um, loyalty could be incentivized with lunches and dinners <laughs> at checkouts. <laughs> yeah, I said that wouldn't work in the Labour Party. Um, you know, again, it's given up on trying to make the argument for the legislation they're putting forward. Project Homer, the memo prepared by Boris Johnson's advisors at Crosby Texter, aims to pack the Lords with peers who'd be supportive of the government. It says that to prevent further defeats on contentious government bills, there are a limited number of potential solutions available. It outlines them as appoint new Conservative peers who will attend the Lords and vote with the government on important pieces of legislation and professionalise the Lords' leadership. The government disavows Project Homer and Crosby Texter says it was just a discussion document for a think tank. But it's 27 pages long, full of data and graphs, and includes anonymised quotes from interviews with Conservative peers. A lot of time and so money seems to have gone into recommendations like using lunches and dinners at checkers as treats and gifts. My view is if they're offering anybody's offering more than a cup of tea, one needs to be quite wary about it because one doesn't want to feel an obligation. Philip, Lord Norton, is a Conservative peer. He's been described as the UK's greatest living expert on Parliament and a world authority on constitutional issues. I asked him about another one of the memo's suggestions that newly created peers sign a pledge of obedience to the government. It's completely objectionable. Of course, no peer should sign any document to support any government or anybody at all. One is there to offer one's uh, advice, to have an input based on one's uh, expertise or one's experience on that particular issue. It sort of render the whole process um, pointless in many respects, if it's just going to be that obvious. Um, how you're going to uh, behave. So, no, it's constitutionally completely objectionable. The memo advises that likely defeats on two Brexit bills, the Northern Ireland Protocol and the Brexit Freedom Bills, will provide a perfect excuse and excellent cover for the Prime Minister to put more loyalists in the Lords. Another form of cover to prevent a media backlash, more Scottish and Welsh peers which it says would improve the representation of these currently underrepresented areas in the Lords. Another incentive, honours like CBEs and special envoys or advisor position. It's based on a misunderstanding of what the House of Lords is about, and I think that's a problem at the moment, the government not fully understanding the nature or respecting the nature of the Second Chamber and what it's there um, to do. And some of the motivation appears to be, oh, well, the Lords keeps defeating the government. Well, the government loses various votes, um, but the government attaches undue importance to that and really doesn't understand what the process is, as if the Lords is defeating the government in a particular vote, therefore that's killing something off or not. It's not. It's merely inviting the Commons to think again on a particular subject. Do you think this Prime Minister or, or government... Um has tested the limits of of the constitution more than more than others that have come before it well simple answer is yes 
But the real question is, why? As Lord Norton says, the Lords can only ask the Commons to think again. So, why is the Prime Minister testing the limits of the Constitution in this way? Personal loyalty is one answer. I can understand a Prime Minister wanting to thank people and reward people for the support they've given them and to recognise that, but that doesn't mean they need a place in the legislature. Boris Johnson has used his patronage to reward those who support him. But Lord Crothers doesn't quite fit. While he's only made two spoken contributions to the Lords, he's voted in almost every single vote since taking his seat, in support of the government. And he's donated money to the Conservatives, not just Boris Johnson. So it's not your classic case of personal loyalty and patronage. He's there because he's a Brexiteer and because the Prime Minister, as Lord Norton puts it, doesn't understand or respect the role of the upper chamber in the Brexit debate. Some might think, hang on, the Prime Minister is sending people who are who are personally loyal to him. Do you not think that somebody with my experience and political interests should be in the Lords? I've got a lot of political pedigree, so... But people don't want to talk about that. I mean, the two things that I've been involved with have been very important to this country's constitution or democracy. No to AV, the voting system, and vote leave. I think I'm very experienced politically. And guess what? I'm one of Britain's most successful businessmen. Guess what? I go into the House of Lords and give my time for free. I don't claim my £300 a day. Guess what? I'm one of the biggest taxpayers. If I don't qualify for the House of Lords, then tell me who does. Because you don't want more MPs in there. You want a diverse background of people. And guess what? I didn't go to Oxford. Peter Crothers has offered unyielding political support to Boris Johnson, but not personal favours like other peers. Take, in contrast, Evgeny Lebedev, who Boris Johnson sent to the Lords as a crossbencher, despite a warning from the security services. Lord Lebedev of Hampton and Siberia has never voted. Aside from his maiden speech, he's made no spoken contribution to the House. He has never officially donated to the Conservatives or to Boris Johnson's campaigns. The electorate, leave or remain, gets nothing for Evgeny Lebedev's seat. But one man did. Over more than a decade, Evgeny Lebedev has used his evening standard newspaper to flatter and promote Boris Johnson. Lord Northcliffe whose family sold Evening Standard to Evgeny Lebedev, joked that when he wanted a peerage, he'd buy one, like an honest man. Another rumour is that the newspaper baron got his peerage from the Prime Minister on the advice of Edward VII, after he had given financial assistance to the King's mistress. These anecdotes come from the historian Andrew Roberts. He has a track record of brilliant history books and a trail of newspaper columns. Ones that are excessively flattering of Boris Johnson, comparing him to Winston Churchill and celebrating his achievements as glorious. Here's an extract from an early one. From personal knowledge, I can attest that Carrie, the first woman to marry a Prime Minister in office since Mary Chester, tied the knot with Robert Jenkinson in 1822, is a charming, intelligent and highly altruistic woman who is likely to be an enormous help to Boris for decades. When I asked Andrew Roberts for an interview about Boris Johnson's legacy, he replied with, no thanks, but thanks. I'll explain why in October. October is significant. By then, Boris Johnson's new peers will be in their seats. Some will fall into the personal loyalty category like Andrew Roberts, Evgeny Lebedev, David Ross and, reportedly, Paul Dacre, editor-in-chief of the Daily Mail's publisher. A day before Boris Johnson was ousted, the newspaper's editorial said, Boris Johnson, without question the most extraordinary politician of his generation, 
has the attributes to be a truly great Prime Minister. The Project Homer report cites Paul Dacre as an example of how controversial nominees distract the media from the actual number of peerages created. And it's here, in the category of political support, that we should perhaps pay closer attention. Peter Crottis' appointment, in fact, distracted us from the Prime Minister's bigger project. He put into the House of Lords around 10 Brexiteers, around my time, Dan Hanan, uh, Jacqueline Foster, Saeed Kamau, who was an MEP. What Peter Crudis' appointment shows is Boris Johnson's willingness to ride out controversy to secure his legacy. Brexit. Some of his lords have helped him personally, but most are there to ensure his Brexit gets done. Stay right here, Homer wrote. Preside in our house with me and be immortal. This episode of the Slow Newscast was reported and produced by me, Paul Caruana Galizia and Louis Vickers. Sound design was by Sam Umbatha. The editors were Matt Russell and Kerry Thomas. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Slow Newscast. If you like what we do, you like our stories, you like our investigations and you want to support us and you want to get more of what we do, then you can join us as a member of our newsroom. Just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash friend and use my code BASHA50. That's B-A-S-I-A 5-0. Thank you and I'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From efforts to control the weather that went disastrously awry to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts.